God bless and greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. We're again in the book on God's behalf. We're going to begin in Job chapter 32 and then in verse 15. In Job 32 verse 15 we read, They were amazed, they answered no more, they left off speaking. When I had waited, for they spake not, but stood still and answered no more. Immediately we see the effectiveness of Elihu's spiritual ministry. As Job's three friends were first amazed, secondly, ceased to formulate reasons in their minds to refute any of his words, and thirdly, left off, no longer speaking, teaching us that there is hardly anything more effective in stopping men's mouths from presuming they know than when one sent from God begins to deliver revelation from God. Then, even the most imperceptive men seem to be able to detect that God has entered the room. Benson on this verse. They were amazed. Job's three friends stood mute, like persons amazed, not knowing what to reply to his arguments, and wondering at his bold and confident assertions concerning his integrity, and his interest in the favor of God. Under such terrible and manifest tokens, as they thought them, of God's just displeasure against him, they answered no more, end quote. Though some who speak from their own human spirit may entertain the masses, they cannot prompt men's mouths to stop and drop to their knees in repentance. Isaiah 45, 23. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Teaching us that God's voice has a power which will be able to silence rebuttal and then stop all others' voices from defending their righteousness. It is also a much different thing when men encounter those who merely talk of God as opposed to when they come into contact with one who actually speaks for God. It is one thing to use God's name, but quite another to speak for God's person. Those also who possess power in their ministries do so because they are filled with the Spirit of the Lord. And in Micah 3, 8 we read, But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment, and of might, to declare unto Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. It takes spiritual power to turn sinners from their evil way, thus none shall bring sinners to repentance, without first receiving power from the Lord to do it. Jesus equipped his witnesses with the power of the Holy Spirit, and so shall all who are chosen by him, to speak on his behalf, share in this same spiritual power. Barnes on Micah 3.8, I am full of or filled with power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and might. The false prophets walked after their own spirit, Ezekiel 13.3. Their only power or influence was from without, from favoring circumstances, from adapting themselves to the great or to the people, going along with the tide 
and impelling persons whither they wished to go. The power of the true prophet was inherent, and that by gift of the Spirit of the Lord. We're again in Barnes. These gifts the prophets know are not their own, but are from the Spirit of God and are by him inspired into them. Such was the spirit of Elijah, unconquered, energetic, fiery, of whom it is said, then stood up Elias as fire, and his word burned like a lamp. Such was Isaiah, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. Such was Jeremiah, therefore I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary of holding in. I have set thee for a trier among my people, a strong fort, and thou shalt know and try their ways. Such was John the Baptist, who said, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Such was Paul, who, when he reasoned of temperance, righteousness and judgment to come made Felix tremble, though unbelieving and ungodly. Such were the apostles who, when they had received the Holy Spirit, broke with a mighty breath ships and kings of Tarshish. Such will be Elias and Enoch at the end of the world, striving against Antichrist, of whom it is said, if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies." End quote. The power to silence critics is seen in Jesus' ministry and also those whom he has ordained for ministry. In 2 Samuel 23, 2, we read, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. See, though men have not power in their words, God does in his, so that when men speak and are genuinely led by God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit's influence will accompany them. Whenever men then speak, and believers detect neither the wisdom nor the power of God, they should know those who say they come in God's name have not been sent by God. For none shall speak for the Lord, absent divine spiritual power being evidenced in him. If men believe God's word, one result will be that they shall be able to clearly distinguish sin in themselves. Romans 7, 7. What should we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. This is also why not until a man believes God's word will a true knowledge of his own sin begin to be understood by him, since it takes the light of the word to manifest the darkness and depravity of human nature. Psalm 119, 130. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Sadly, though, if men refuse God's word in their heart, then they can never be brought to discover their own sinful nature. By shutting out the truth, it becomes an impossibility for men to know the true condition of themselves. As long as men think themselves righteous, then we can know that neither God's word nor God's laws have been believed. Simply because ignorance of a sinful nature cannot exist, 
if the heart is actually open to being taught by God. Acts 7, 57, Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him, Stephen, with one accord. Job 37, 17 now. I said, I will answer also my part. I also will show mine opinion. For I am full of matter. The spirit within me constraineth me. Behold, my belly is as wine, which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. Elihu, in order to state the source of his opinion and the wisdom he would bring to Job, reveals how God's spirit has been ready to burst forth from him. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, working in a messenger of God, strong enough not only to convict his own heart of sin, but also will not allow the presence of sin and erring wisdom go unaddressed in others. Jeremiah was one who briefly assumed that he could stay silent and cease to speak in God's name. Yet the strong influence of the Spirit of God would not allow him to do so. Jeremiah 29, Then said I, and these are Jeremiah's words, I will not make mention of him, of God, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. So strong then is God's spirit in a man's heart. If the Lord wants his word spoken, then it will prove impossible for human will to suppress it. Pool on Jeremiah 29. Then said I, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. This daily scorn and reproach, which the prophet saw himself exposed unto, for preaching against the sin and the wickedness of the people, was a sore temptation upon him to lay down his employment as a prophet. He did not speak this openly, but he spoke it in his heart. He had many such thoughts in his breast. But he saith he was not able to do what he thought to do. He found in his heart a constraint to go on, that when a revelation came at any time from God unto him, it was like a fire in his bones, which he must quench by uttering what God had revealed to him, end quote. No man can resist God, and surely not those filled with his spirit purpose to turn men back to the Lord. The burden of God's Spirit in their heart, carrying so much inward consternation and compulsion that regardless of circumstances, God's will must be held forth. So that if God inspires His prophets to speak, none shall prove successful in resisting His will, even if it jeopardizes their own human lives. Now, Job 33:20, I will speak, and these are again Elihu's words, that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips and answer. It is only when men obey and act upon what God is working in them that spiritual refreshment will come. Compliance to God's will, the singular path to quiet a troubled conscience. Elihu thus knew that the only way that he could be relieved from his spiritual burden and find refreshment in his soul is if he spoke what the Spirit had been urging within. Matthew Henry on Job 32, 20. 
It is a great refreshment to a good man to speak for the glory of the Lord and to edify others, end quote. Verse 21 now. Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person. Neither let me give flattering titles unto man. One of the great standards for ministers of the Lord is that they are not in any way to be found a respecter of persons. Leviticus 19.15 reads, Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. But in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. And again in Deuteronomy 1.17, You shall not respect persons in judgment, but you shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's and the cause that is too hard for you. Bring it unto me and I will hear it. Impartiality in judgment is the very foundation for proper justice. Observe also that at the core of human partiality and favoritism is personal and selfish gain. This is seen in Isaac's affection for Esau because of the venison he ate and relished was hunted by Esau. In short, men who can be brought to alter their spiritual judgment because it is beneficial to them personally greatly sin against the Lord. Simply because he who shows favoritism really only favors himself. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, we read, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Matthew Henry on this. In preaching the gospel, the apostles sought to bring persons to obedience, not of men, but of God. But Paul would not attempt to alter the doctrine of Christ, either to gain their favor or to avoid their fury. In so important a matter, we must not fear the frowns of men, nor seek their favor by using words of men's wisdom. Concerning the manner wherein he received the gospel, he had it by revelation from heaven. He was not led to Christianity, as many are, merely by education, end quote. Now, verse 22. For I know not to give flattering titles. In so doing, my maker would soon take me away. Flattery is a deceptive sin, generally not recognized until the flatterer has accomplished his purpose. He also, who is fond of flattering others, is even more fond of flattering himself. It is also because men are guilty of flattering themselves that they cannot either see or detect the sin that lies within themselves. Psalm 36.2, the NIV. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. Barnes on this verse. The word rendered flattereth means to be smooth. Then, to be smooth in the sense of being bland or flattering. End quote. Elihu, knowing the sin of flattery and its consequences, knew that if he committed it, then God would also remove him. Psalm 12, 3. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. 
What flatterers do is smooth over not only their own sin, but the sin of others. The complete opposite work of the Holy Spirit, which will so convict men of sin that they will repent for it. The Word of God also maintains its sharpness so that it may cut to reveal the true heart of men. Hence, where flattery will smooth over and minimize sin, the Holy Spirit and God's Word will expose it. Flattery also requires that there be much dexterity performed by the tongue in order that what is said is pleasing to people's ears. As many a false prophet has gained his religious reputation through flattery, thus by the process of flattering divinations and or false revelations from the Lord, people will be told what they desire to hear and not what they need to hear. Corrupt egos will be enlarged so that the flatterer's lives and personal standing is increased. The devil also catches as many unsuspecting people with flattery than he does by persecution. This is what he did in Genesis with Adam and Eve, and it will be the same with us. The purpose of flattery, it should be remembered, is to lead God's people into error. Jeremiah 23, 13. And I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied in Baal and caused Israel to err. It is also those whose merchandise is flattery who cause God's people to believe and trust in a lie. Pride and flattery go hand in hand, and God has a great distaste for both. Since it is the proud who flatter themselves and others, and the proud whom God says, like the flatterer, will be cut off. Job chapter 33, verse 1 now. Wherefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speeches and hearken to all my words. It is not wrong to implore, pray, or even demand that men listen to our words. If what we are about to speak will lead them closer to God. Peter said to the lame man, look on us in order that his faith might be focused so that the man could be delivered of his infirmity. Jonah cried that Nineveh might hear the Lord's warnings and be spared God's judgment for their sin. Jeremiah, another minister, was instructed by the Lord to cry in the ears of Jerusalem with the hopes that restoration with God could be found. Lastly, it was the apostle Peter who stood up with the eleven their voices rising with his own, and demanded Israel's attention to the great sin committed against Jesus. The result was about 3,000 were saved. Teaching us that when the Spirit of God is working in men to speak forth a word from Him, then it is quite appropriate, yea, essential, that people are alerted to the importance of what will be said. Verse 2 now. Behold, now... I have opened my mouth, my tongue has spoken in my mouth, my words shall be of the uprightness of my heart, and my lips shall utter knowledge clearly. Seeking to distinguish himself from Ilipaz, Bildad, and Zophar's words, Elihu declares he will speak with uprightness of heart and clarity of message. True wisdom, therefore, will possess not only purity, but equally important, clarity. 
Hence, those who might have previously rejected others' weak and confusing arguments can be persuaded by the clarity and purity of divine revelation. And in James chapter 3, verse 17, we read, But the wisdom that is from above, or that comes from God and from heaven, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Where human wisdom is anything but pure, heavenly wisdom is. And because this wisdom from above has as its source God, it will be felt to possess the very same holy attributes as the Lord. Hence, where carnal and human wisdom will agitate further the confused, the Lord's wisdom will promote peace. Elipaz, Bildad, and Zophar's words had done nothing but to provoke Job and cause him internal unrest. Yet now Elihu's message would do just the opposite. Having its origin as from above, it would prove itself as easy to be entreated. Elihu, therefore, would become a breath of fresh air to Job, whereas previously debate and strife had ruled the day. Job's friends had spoken of their own will, but Elihu would speak under the direction of God's will. It is not enough, then, to claim that we come in God's name if God has not commissioned us to speak for Him. Job's friends, unintentionally, had carried themselves no differently than false prophets. God did not send them to speak for Himself, yet they ran, egotistically thinking they could perform service for the Lord. Uh, Jeremiah 23, 21. I have not sent these prophets, the Lord says, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. It is easy to see why Elipaz, Bildad, and Zophar's words manifestly failed, simply because they spoke to Job's things not of the truth and focused on arguments devoid of God's Spirit leading them. Gill on this verse. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. They might be sent of men and be encouraged by them, but they were not sent of God. It is not only necessary that men employed in religious affairs should have an external call in an orderly way from the church of God, but also an internal call from the Lord himself. He, qualifying them with gifts, putting his word into their mouths and inclining their hearts to publish it, but these false prophets had no mission, nor commission from the Lord, nor were they sent on any errand or with any message from Him. And yet they ran, showed great diligence and zeal, and made haste to tell people what the Lord had never said to them. But what were the warm imaginations of their own heads and hearts? They ran a race or course of ministry, but it was not good. Continuing in the commentary, to do evil, I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. Wherefore, what they prophesied was not the word of the Lord, but what they themselves devised. And so, what was false? As the Targum adds, it is a sad character of men when they speak in public, neither by the will of God nor according to the word of God. End quote. True prophecy sent from God will neither have human will nor human imagination leading it. Its origin, 
since its source is God, will contain nothing of man. 2 Peter 1.21 For the prophecy, and this is the word of God, came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. To then speak for God first demands that a call of God has been issued to the speaker. Jeremiah had this call from the Lord even before he was born, Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed thee in the belly, and I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. See, many have failed in ministry simply because they sought and did enter into a divine calling that was not given to them by God to possess. Men therefore cannot possess any gift ministry without first Jesus calling them to it. God has set the members of Christ's church as it has pleased himself and not how it pleases its members. Whenever also men arise to speak for God, merely through their own human will and desire, it is an indication of false prophecy. Matthew 24, 11. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Jameson Fawcett Brown Bible on Jeremiah 23, 21. A call is required, not only external on the part of men, but also internal from God, that one should understand a pastor's office, Calvin, end quote. All offices and all ministries in the church demand that a call of God precedes them. Hence, if a man has not been called by God to speak for God, yet does so, then the Lord considers this a great sin against his people. The sentence for this sin, according to the Old Testament law, would be death. Simply because if false prophets' words are believed, it will lead to the spiritual death of others. Hence, by leading others to death, Old Testament law demanded that death should be the sentence for this deceptive and presumptuous sin. A sin performed throughout history by men not called by God to speak, yet because of ego and chance of gain, they thought by doing so would be advantageous to themselves. Deuteronomy 18.20 But the prophet, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. Gill on this verse. But the prophet, which shall presume to speak in my name, pretending a mission and commission from God, and yet was never sent by him like the prophets in Jeremiah, which I have not commanded him to speak, which though true was not to be spoken in a public manner, by assuming a public office without divine authority or commission from God, and much less was false and never commanded to be spoken at all by any, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, the idols of the people, as the Targum, as if any should affirm they were sent or inspired by Apollo, as some are said to prophesy by Baal, as if they had received their orders and instructions from him and were inspired by him. Even that prophet shall die, end quote. Amen.